morning. Excited to be in church this morning. Do you love Jesus today? Come on. I love him this morning more than I did last week. And last week was Easter. We celebrated his resurrection and so uh, great to have, those, to have those weekend services. We did three services for the first time ever in the history of the avenue. And our team served so well, and we saw God do some amazing things that weekend. I'm excited because right now, though, is current, and this is present. And so this morning, we had a great first service, and I'm excited for what God's going to do in this next service here. In the next 35 minutes or so, um, we just have a, uh, a high expectation. You know, it's okay to put an expectation on God to do something great. A lot of times when we've been disappointed, we hesitate to expect anything because we guard ourselves. But God can handle our expectations. And Sunday mornings, we put a high expectation on God to do something that only He can do. Our dream team works really hard, our volunteers, to make all of this happen. But then there's a measure that only God can do as well. And so we expect that God will always do. And so He does. He comes through every time. Sometimes it looks different than we thought. And that's kind of where we arrive in this week's, uh, in our series of talks we've been doing on death, where is your sting? This is week number three. What do you do when God doesn't come through the time you thought he would or the way that you thought he would? How do you handle that? What does that look like for you? How do you approach God moving forward? How do you consider God? What do you think of him when he doesn't do for you what you believed he could do, what you knew he is capable of doing, and yet it seems that he chose not to do it? He could have prevented it. He could have acted another way. He could have done something different. So now what do you do with this God? This morning, we're going to pull out this story. We're going to do something here that I don't think I've ever done before. I'm going to preach 45 verses in 30 minutes. If you don't believe in miracles, you're about to see one. <laughs> 45, and I, as I pulled out this story, I had it, I just thought, it's not a part of it that I want to leave out. I want to, I want to read the whole thing. It's so full of life. And so if it means I have to say less to the work and say more, I'm okay with that. And I really want to just pull this story out and highlight it and hold it up for you to look at it and see. Because I believe in life. If you, could, if you could take all of life and condense it into one thought, one sentence, we're either running from pain or we're running to God. That's our lives. We're running from pain, from trauma, from, from conflict, or we're running towards God. Oftentimes, the thought is simply this, though, that if this was my painful place and I'm running away from pain, God must be that way because he wasn't in my pain. But I want to challenge that thought and submit to you that if this is your pain, instead of running away from it, consider running towards your pain, towards your God. If you'll run through your pain, you'll find God was there in the painful moment and he was also on the other side. God doesn't create pain, but God will work through pain. God doesn't create the conflicts you have in your life, but he'll work through them. And too many times we assume that if there is a painful place, that's not God, because he would have done something about it. And the story we find this morning that we're going to extract clearly tells us the expectation was that God could do something, and he didn't. And that's how they end up where they were. So if you have your Bible, we're going to jump into John chapter 11 and the story of Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha and Mary. I want to read this verse before we dive in in Romans chapter 4, verse 17. I didn't give it to our screen support team. I got it really early this morning, and I just want to read it. I'll read it two times. But think about this verse. 
Paul the Apostle wrote this. He said, God who gives life, and we're talking about resurrection still. We're talking about giving life over death, our final enemy, death. The victory that Jesus gave to us through his death and resurrection. God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist as though they do. It's almost as if he's saying you got to pretend they exist by faith believing until you actually see the reality of it. I'll read it again. God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist as though they did. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your love, for your mercy, your grace. God, I thank you for being here with each one of us today. Lord, I pray, speak to us this morning in our hearts, our minds, our ears. Let's be wide open in our eyes to see you in a way we never have before. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? I'd like to take a poll now and then. How many people were, have, have not been raised in church? Just raise your hand. You, you, didn't, you didn't grow up in church? You don't know a lot about Okay. How many people have been raised in church? All of you with me need the most therapy of anybody here. <laughs> I'm convinced of it. I think oftentimes, and this is why, that as we're raised in church, now my, my parents were praying parents. Moms and dads in the rooms, be praying parents. Let your kids see you praying. Let your kids hear you praying. If you're like my parents, let your kids feel you praying. When my dad prayed, I could feel the prayer. Like, let your kids know that you're praying. My parents prayed for me all the time. My parents prayed for me every time. They prayed for me all day, all night. We pray with Dax right now, our four-year-old, and we pray with the boys before they go to sleep. And our four-year-old has this prayer. We, we pray a couple different prayers, and they're not like... Some of them, I'm trying to teach them some memorized prayers. And so one of the prayers is from Numbers, the blessing. And then one of the prayers is this other prayer that I, I kind of came up with myself. But Dax has his own prayer that he likes to pray. And he's on this kick now where he prays this prayer. And he'll say, no, no, he's got such a strong opinion, this one. And he says, no, 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 I want to pray this prayer. I want to pray. So he puts his hands together and closes his eyes. And he prays by faith because he, he doesn't even, he opens up with, I thank you. He opens up like Romans 4, 17, like he's speaking into existence. He's like, God, I thank you for a big house. I'm like, what's wrong with the one we got? And a pool. We ain't got one of them. And I thank you for a big room and a big playroom. And I thank you for a big yard. And I thank you for a big driveway to play basketball. And I thank you for $10 million bucks. I was like, son, you wanted something there. So I said, where'd you get the money thing from? And he says, and he said, I, 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 I'm praying for it. He didn't understand my question. He said, I'm praying for it. So the next night we prayed again. He went through the whole prayer exactly the same way. He said, I pray for $100 million bucks for me and $10 million bucks for everybody else. <laughs> I was like, who is teaching you this stuff? This is not like, we didn't like tease this up or lead this. He, he just comes up with this on his own. He said, no, no, I, I, he, he feels he wants to pray for that. I'm like, cool. My parents did this with us. They would lead us to prayer. They would pray. My mom and dad prayed prayers of intercession, prayers of supplication. How many parents pray prayers of information? Let God know about that kid. My parents would pray a prayer of information. God, that girl he's dating right now. God, that fight he got into. 
God, those friends that he has, like, don't bother God with such trivial information. God's got to run the world. He ain't worried about who I'm dating. <laughs> Parents be submitting to God prayers of information. What do you do as you're praying when the prayer you submit to God goes unanswered, feels unheard, falls flat to the ground, bounces off the ceiling and comes back down? And you go, I mean, God, you said if I believed and asked in your name, you would do anything. You said if I believed that the mountain could be thrown into the sea, I could just speak it. it would. Do. And I'm just asking you to provide and help me pay for rent. And I mean, nothing's happening. What do you do when there's this happening? See, too many times we look at life like it's, like it's life and then death. Like it's two sections of the, Life and death are happening at the same time. They're not two individual occurrences. They're actually one circular event. Because as a believer, if you're saved, what happens when you're born into this world is simply that your spirit comes to life at salvation. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, you mean I've got to come, my mom has to bring me back into the world. And he said, no, no, no. Be born of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means your spirit is regenerated. It's a theological word. Regeneration is brought back to life. Then, now my spirit is brought to life, come alive. But what do I do with the rest of me? And that's where your soul, which we define as your mind, your will, your emotions, your feelings, what you think about what you think, why you do what you do, all that area, is being transformed. That's why Paul wrote, be transformed in your mind by the renewing of your mind because even though your soul has been regenerated, you need to transform the way you think, not the old ways, but the new ways that God gives us. And then it's your body. It's what's on the outside, this part here. This part will decay. So when you say, death, where is your sting? This part is going to die. But my spirit will live forever, but this part will come back to life. And we're going to cover that next week. What does that look like? What does that feel like? you got to come back. But this morning, I want to grapple with this thought, this idea, that when I pray, when I believe for something, when I have an expectation for it, what do I do? Do I run from that painful place, or do I run through that pain and see that he was there, and he's also working through that thing? This is the place that we arrive at in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, Jesus has some really good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Verse 1, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is the same Martha whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, the one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So chapter 12, the next chapter over, John gives us the eyewitness account of Mary when she anoints Jesus' feet with an expensive perfume that took a whole year's worth of salary to buy. They made fun of her and said, you shouldn't do that. And Jesus said, no, no, what she's doing is anointing my body for burial. It was symbolic. But this is the same Mary who was a prostitute. This is the same Mary who was the same one that Jesus had brought freedom and deliverance and healing to her in her life. John wants us to understand this is who this person is. So the sisters sent word to Jesus Lord, the one you love is sick. And it's amazing that they knew Jesus would know who they spoke of and didn't even use his name. 
The one you love, he's sick. And God is fueled by love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You want to draw God's attention. You want to leverage God into a situation. We would think that we can use love in order to do that and manipulate God because of love. The sisters, hey, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Of course, Jesus is going to come. If somebody tells you somebody's sick, you have a propensity to let them know. At least you'll be praying for them. You'll visit them. Do you need anything? Can I make you a casserole? I hate casseroles. Don't ever make me a casserole if I'm sick. I like soups. I'm a soup guy. I'm not even joking. Jesus, you got to come for this man. They sent word, verse 4. And when he heard this, Jesus said, i got to get up and go. Oh, no. He gives them like a Hallmark card. The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Has the Scripture ever annoyed you before? Can we get real this morning? Have you ever read a verse and be like, oh, that just, that didn't bless me. That didn't bless me at all. I'm trying to do my devotions and have you ever been there where you read something in the, in the Word and you're like, oh, that's what happens here. Jesus, come quickly. He's sick. This sickness is not the death. It's for the glory of God. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. I now have scriptural proof and text that the next time my wife tells me the kids are fighting upstairs, go to them, and I'm watching TV, I have permission to wait. Jesus waited two more days. There's a window here, guys, that when the kids have something going on, I can wait before I have to respond. He waited two days, two days. Jesus, he's sick. He needs your help immediately. Then he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And I love the heart there that they said, hey, the last time they wanted, you went there, they wanted to kill you. So we've got to avoid that place because that's how naturally I would think. But Jesus is drawing their attention back around in another way to say, hey, listen, you can't make fear-based decisions. That, that seemed like a painful place, so you want to avoid it. But instead, if that's where God's leading me, you can go through it. And there's conversations that you've been avoiding and there's people that you've been avoiding, and there's situations you've been avoiding, and there's sin issues you've been avoiding, and there's stuff that's happening, and there's pain, and there's trauma that you've been avoiding talking about because you don't want to go through it. So you find yourself running from that and wondering, where is God? And I want you to see He's there in it, but He's also on the other side of it. Because the most fulfilling and effective life you can live is when you're willing to, by faith, walk through that painful experience and go, okay, God, I trust you. Because every relationship has a bedrock of trust. 
The foundation is trust. If I can't trust you, we're not going to go very far. If I can't trust God, it's not going to work very well. If he can't trust me, this thing's not going to get built very big. So I've got to trust him that as I walk through this painful place, this is where the girls are at. This is where the disciples are. You're telling me you want to go back to Judea? They tried to stone you and kill you. We should avoid that place. There's sometimes things in life that we're avoiding because they feel painful. And they are. They're hurtful. Somebody said something. Somebody did something. You did something. Whatever occurred, whatever happened, whatever conflict went down. But Jesus says, I don't run from pain. I'll run through it. And if that is what is needed to bring glory to my Father in heaven, then I'll walk through that. You know, setting this up and being five years portable is not easy. In case you are wondering, we make it look easy. It's not. It can be very painful sometimes. It can be very challenging sometimes. It can be very discouraging sometimes. But we're willing to walk through the pain, the discouragement, and the challenge because we know God's getting glory and we're going to get to the other side. If we looked at it and said, you know what, we don't have a building, so we're going to avoid the pain, discouragement, and the challenge, and we're going to go this way and do church, we wouldn't have anything to do because we'd be making a decision based off of fear and be in a place where we have no church. If we want to have a church, this is our only option to go through what would appear to be a painful, challenging season, knowing God is with us now. He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't forgotten about us. He hears our prayers but for some reason, he hasn't answered them yet for a building, for land. And that can be frustrating sometimes. It can be embarrassing sometimes. It can be hard sometimes. But you've got to be willing to walk through that thing because God has a greater plan. After this, verse 11, he has said, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going to go wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Because the doctor said rest is a great medicine. Jesus, Jesus is saying, no, guys, he's just asleep. And I love how this story has a tension in it because he says, hey, you know Lazarus, the one we love. We love to visit. We love to go to his house. His sister Martha cooks a great meal. His, Mary, his, sister, his sister Mary and she worships, and she just, she loves to host us, and we love to be there, and it was a place of rest for them. Every good love story has a tension line between sorrow and pain and love. It's the love that fuels us to go through it. When I counsel people in their marriages, they say all the time, well, we have this, this, this thing is painful, this thing is sorrow, <clears throat> something is challenging. And they want to avoid it because it's a place, of pla a place of pain. And I'll encourage them to confront it and walk through it. What good love story doesn't have pain in it somewhere? Ask Disney, the masters of manipulating our hearts with movies so that we fall in love for happily ever after because we see in the beginning two individuals fall in love. And then we see them go through the process of pain and separation and discouragement. And they don't understand. And then they get to the end. And if they ran from that pain, they would have never got to the happily ever after on the other side. 
And if that's just a little bit of how Disney manipulates our hearts and our emotions, how much more can we believe that God who is actually for us and with us and works all things together for his good that we're walking through would use the situations, the pain, the sorrow, the conflict, and as we go through them, be willing to use those things in our lives as well. So verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Let me give you a quick information here for context. In that day, the Jewish people believed superstitiously, this is not a truth, it was a superstition, that the body, when it was dead, the spirit lingered around the grave for three days. So by the fourth day, now the spirit would disappear for good, and there was no chance at resurrection. So it's almost as if Jesus is waiting till the fourth day to dispel the superstitions of the day. So they couldn't have an excuse for why this happened the way it did. Also take note that Bethany is just two miles away. And in those days in the ancient world, those people could walk 20 miles a day normally and naturally. They wanted to do something, if it was work, get to another town, 20 miles was nothing to walk. It was the average rate that they would walk per day. So going two miles is not out of the way at all for Jesus and the disciples to go visit Lazarus. He's not that far away. He's actually a lot closer than they thought. Now, Bethany, less than two miles away from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. But when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this is where the tension that we have, that we can relate to this story. Lord, if you had been there in that moment, they wouldn't have done that to me. If you had been there in that moment, that pain may not have happened to me. If you'd been there in that moment, that conflict wouldn't have gotten out of control. If you'd been there in that moment, I would have never entered into an addictive state. If you'd been there in that moment, I would have never made that choice. How many times have we looked at God and said, God, if you had only been there in that moment. And she says, you, my brother would not have died, but I know now God will give you whatever you ask. And it's crazy because Martha realizes Jesus got the message. He just didn't respond. Some of y'all do that every day. You ever do that? Somebody sends you a text message and you don't respond. The next day you run into them, Target, and they see you before you see them. So you can't turn around and go the other way and they see you coming and they've already got you flagged down, and you realizing quickly, I didn't respond to that text message. It happens to me sometimes. You get left on red. That's what the kids call it. Left on red. When you send somebody a message, and you get those little bubbles underneath, and you see that they got the message, and they're not responding. You see that they, they received what you said to them, and they contemplated a response, and they considered one, but then they just left it wide open. Martha realizes Jesus has left her on red, left her in this situation. No response. She's trying to have faith. 
God will do whatever you ask him to do. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by me, by believing in me, will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after this, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. And she said, the teacher is here and asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And Jesus had not yet entered the village. He was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's like when you run into two people that have been hanging out before you and you see them separately and they both say the same thing to them. You know they've been talking about you. We wish you had come to Thanksgiving because you didn't make the holiday meal. And you see them separately and you realize together they were like, I wonder where he was for Thanksgiving. He's too good to be with us. Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. They both give the same response. The first words out of both of their mouth is exact. This is what is on their heart. They realize Jesus could have done something then, but it's too late now too late now. And when he saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her weeping also, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see, Lord. And then Jesus wept. And it's amazing when you think about the fact that God literally cried. He was so moved with compassion for Lazarus and for the sisters that he would weep. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Be careful who you surround yourself with in your place of pain. Because one group of people will say, hey, look, look, look. This is how much God loves you. Even though you're going through pain, trauma, conflict, even though you're going and running from this thing, God loves you this much. And other people will look at the same situation and tell you, if God had really loved you, he could have done something about it. Be really careful about the people you surround yourself with when you're walking back through that pain. Because two different voices will come and you have to be able to discern what they're saying and who is for you and who the enemy is working through to cause you to run from God. He loved him so much. And this story that was so full of sorrow and death suddenly is about to take a turn towards resurrection. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said these words. He said, take away the stone. Take away the stone. And I love that he says take away the stone because too many times in our lives we don't realize that there's something standing between us and God. For Lazarus, there was a stone that was put between him and Jesus. Last week in the resurrection message, we talked about when they rolled back the stone on Jesus' tomb, it was not so Jesus could come out, but so we could go in, so we could look in. 
This week, though, Lazarus' stone had to be removed so Lazarus could come out. So there could be nothing now separating him from God, and he could respond and come forth from the grave. Spoiler alert, he's about to come back to life. And as he's about to come out, he says, hey, get the stone out of the way. So let me just ask you this morning, as you're walking through the pain, is there something that blocks between you and God? A mindset, a thought pattern, an addiction, a stone of expectation, a stone of disappointment, a stone of addiction, a sin, a stone of something that would keep you from... You know what, God, that keeps me. Every time I get to the point of wanting to walk out of this thing and finding freedom, I get to the edge, but I can't because I can't get through it. And that stone blocks you and keeps you bound, keeps you locked inside, even though Jesus is on the other side trying to call you out. There's things in your life that you have to be willing to move out of the way so you can get closer to God. Sometimes it could just be a relationship and a person. Sometimes it could be busyness of schedule. And you're trying to get closer to God, but you're living life too fast and too busy. Let me caution you here. Be really careful that there's nothing in blocking you from getting to Jesus. Verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know, I, knew, I know that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. Again, it's powerful to pray so other people can hear you. Not so they can hear how you're praying, but so they can see your faith in action. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Have you ever thought about this? Lazarus actually had a choice to respond or not. He was commanded, but everything in this world tells me he had a choice because I have a choice to make every day if I'm going to go this way, go that way, live this way, live that way, think this way, think that way. Everything about my life is a free will. I have a choice to be made to do something. Lazarus had a choice to walk out So when God brings this into your life, you have a choice to make and say, do I have the faith to believe that Lazarus is about to do something nobody had ever done before? Nobody's ever walked out of a tomb. Maybe God is calling you to do something that has never been done before. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's an idea, a business, a concept. Maybe it's something that nobody in your family has done before. Maybe it's something you've never attempted before. I've never planted a church before. I had to walk out of a tomb and go, okay, God, here we go. I'd worked for churches. I'd been pastoring. I've done a lot of things. I had never literally started one organically from the ground, dropped out of a parachute in the air, didn't know what I was doing in the state of, like, leaned in and got training. But it took every bit of faith that I had to step out and do this. There's a point in your life where you just have to go, God, I'm going to walk by faith and step out when you're calling me and you're saying, Lazarus, come forth. He's calling your name and saying, come out. There's something that you're called to do. And I love this thought. Because anytime my dad preached this, he'd say, if he had not said, Lazarus, come forth, and if he just said, hey, come out, 
every grave there would have been opened up and every dead person would have come out of the graves. So by name, Jesus literally calls him by name and says, Lazarus. And everybody else is like, oh, man, it wasn't my name. Maybe tomorrow. And the dead man came out, and his feet and his hands were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the part of the story I want to just pause for a second, and I want you to see. Because we've preached this before, you've maybe heard this before, and you've seen Lazarus come forth before. So Jesus brings him back to life, but he teaches us here something as the church, the role that we play. Now, i got to volunteer this morning because I want to illustrate this for you. I want you to see this for what it is. Ready? Lazarus, i got resurrection power here this morning. Lazarus, come forth. All right, one o'clock. One o'clock, hurry up. Now watch, here comes Lazarus. He, come on, step, step. I'll help you up the steps. There you go. Don't trip over the cables. Great. Dead man walking just out of the tomb, everybody. Just came back to life. And there he is, just like the Bible said. It said, hey, his body and his hands were wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And Jesus says to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now notice, Lazarus made the choice and responded and wobbled out. But he needed somebody else to help him find freedom. Jesus did the work of regenerating him and bringing him back to life, but he tells the people around him, hey, go up to him now and help bring freedom to his hands. I know these hands have done things. I know they've caused violence. I know they've hurt people. I know they've done things you're ashamed of. But now that you've come back to life, this is why you go to a small group. This is why you serve in a church. So now you can put your hands to doing something for good. Now you can play an instrument for the glory of God. Now you can use your hands to pray for somebody to help bring healing and health versus violence. You can be a person of peace instead of a person of wrath. I know these hands have caused destruction, but now they can be hands of construction and build up the church of God. But how does that happen? When others come along, Jesus had the power to do it, but he commanded those around him and said, hey, I brought him to life. Now you take his grave clothes off of him. This is what happens. Because too many people come in on a Sunday morning or walk through a moment and they get saved. They find salvation. Greatest decision you could ever make. They come alive in Christ, but they stay in their grave clothes. And you're walking around looking like this, and you're trying to use your hands, but you can't quite figure it out. And your feet aren't free, and so you want to go places and do things, and you, you, God, send me anywhere. God, I'll go anywhere you send me. I'll be anybody you want me to be. And you're trying to get there, but your feet are bound. Because it is in relationships and friendships. God brings healing into our lives. People avoid, I don't need church. I love God. I'm going to heaven. I don't need church. You don't need church for salvation. You need church for freedom. Consider that. That as you walk this out and as you're processing this, 
He says, hey, hey, hey. He's got this thing around his face. And he can't see where he's going. Those eyes, they've looked at stuff they shouldn't have looked at. Those eyes have been filled with deceit, lies. But now they're going to be full of vision and life. Ask yourself, why then? Why would Jesus command the others? He could have spoken a word, and in a moment's time, every bit of grave clothes could have fell off of him. Because he gives us the opportunity to learn, to learn how to serve each other, how to love each other. This is why we encourage you to go to a small group, to be on a team. You want relationship here at the Avenue? You want to be a part? It comes in the form of small groups, serving together on Dream Team, Worshiping together on a Sunday morning experience. Going to a one-day serve on April 29th. These are the moments. And as you do, you find freedom in your life because you go, hey, you know what? I, you get discipled. You get educated. You learn what God wants to do in your life. We have Christians who are wandering blind walking around with a fence, not serving, addicted. We see Lazarus come out. And Lazarus would have stayed in that condition had Jesus not said, hey, he's alive, but take these grave clothes off of him. This is who he used to be. It's not who he is now. And this is key. So when somebody steps into a place of salvation, we don't see them as they were we see them as they are now. Jesus is saying, hey, I know the way that you, he looks. I know how he looks, but he's alive. Jesus steps into that painful place and actually calls the delay on purpose so he could get to this moment right here to teach us this lesson, to show us that in this moment his power could be revealed. Let me just ask you simply, what are you wrapped up with today? What kind of grave clothes may be still wrapped around you? People's opinions, their thoughts, some old-fashioned ideas, concepts, beliefs, addictions, sins, worry, fear, doubt, uncertainty. Do you feel wrapped up by something? Do you feel consumed by something? So many people, if we're running from pain or running towards God, don't even want to have that conversation. I encourage people all the time, get a therapist. See a counselor. I see one on a regular basis. Because I got things in my life I've got to work through, talk through. And I would encourage you to do the same. I'm in a small group. I lead one. I attend one. I serve alongside people. I came down the front this morning for prayer because I want people to come alongside and help encourage me and lift me up. It's the invitation we have for each one of you. Here in a moment, we're going to end the service a little bit different. And as we close it out, don't worry, nothing weird, nothing strange. There's communion elements over here to your right and my left. If you'd like to receive personal communion, they'll be available. You're going to see them a lot, around here a lot more often. 
And it's okay. Communion can be taken corporately and it can be taken privately. A lot of times I'll receive communion in the morning in the back when I'm studying before service. Just individually and go through that process with God. We have a prayer team that's going to come down the front. They would love to have the moment to pray with you. Have a conversation, not really have a conversation, not really go into counseling, but have a moment to pray and just say, hey, we're here with you. And it's amazing to me how many people walk into church and don't access the prayer that's available to them. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. If you can't get prayed for here, where would you get prayed for? Now, we'll pray anywhere with you, but it's fully available here. And this is a safe place. So our prayer team, a moment was going to come down here. But you have to respond. Lazarus, come out. Make a choice. Walk out. You just have to walk out from behind your seat. You can say, hey, this is what I need prayer for. Or you can just say, hey, would you pray for me? be honest with you, you don't have to say anything at all. You just walk down here and somebody will pray for you. Because we believe we'll help you. That's a part of the process of being the church, the community, therefore each other. Because I love what happens here at the very end. Verse 45, came out, the grave clothes were taken off, and many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, who were there for the mourning and the funeral, who were there to see Lazarus buried and give their last respects, now saw what Jesus did and believed in him. This is the power of your story. This is the power of allowing you, allowing God to help you walk through your pain so that people see how great God is. You don't have to tell everybody your story. People don't need to know all your stuff. But you've got to make it available to God that if he would want to use it to help somebody else, he would. And he could. This is what it used to be. But this is where I am today. Would you stand with me? Just close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to just consider right now in your life where you're at. Is there something you need to respond to that God's calling you out to do? Is there something that he's revealed inside of you that you need to take care of and say, hey, I got to get that out of the way. I got to remove that thing. That's blocking me and Jesus from being closer together. Maybe there's something in your life that you just simply have a place of, I need to remove that. It's binding me up. It's, it's wrapped itself around me. You know, unforgiveness will come and wrap its way around you and keep you from so much that God wants you to have. Bitterness will wrap its way around you. If you're not careful, you can suddenly be a dead man walking, bound by these things. Alive on the inside because Christ brings us back to life, but walking. Some churches call it deliverance. Some churches call it freedom. I don't care what you call it. Just know that he came to give you life and life more abundantly. He came to give you life to the full. You don't have to walk and live in this space any longer being bound. Father, I thank you this morning for your love, your mercy, your grace, your kindness, your goodness. 
Lord, we exalt and lift up the name of Jesus and ask you to draw people to him this morning. God, we thank you for your love that is poured out freely upon each one of us, that compels us, that draws us to you. God, I know that as we spoke and as I said, there's a painful place. So many of us, it's our tendency to run from that pain and flee from it and not approach it. But God, this morning, we need your grace to know that we can trust you to walk back through that thing and know that as we surrender it and give it to you, you'll use it for our good and to bring glory to your Father in heaven. My story is not about me. It's about you. I've made my mistakes, my mess-ups. God, somehow you make it all work out for my good. How in the world am I standing here today leading this church? Only because I run towards you. God, keep our hearts always in a space of running towards you. Not from pain, but to you. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come down here. If you want to receive prayer, I invite our prayer team to come down and get ready. The communion elements are on the side. Maybe you're here today and you say, hey, you know, I want to do that, but I'm, I'm not sure. It's okay. It's okay to want prayer. It's okay to receive prayer. In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. God, I thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy.